station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, movie, we're going to call her Fixer, <laughs> Melissa Kersher. Hello. And today we have two newbies two. for the film we are about to call. We're going to call them our movie Gimps. Let's... Uh, <laughs> That's good. Now, it, which will make sense to them later. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> First up, we have a brand new guest on our podcast, Patrick Fisher. Hello. Hello. And then we have a returning guest, my son, Alex Wick. Hi. Hi. So uh, first thing we have to do is tell you what movie we are going to watch, which is Pulp Fiction. And we need Patrick and Alex to explain to us, in turn, what they know about the movie. Patrick, what do you know about Pulp Fiction? Well, I know it restarted Travolta's career. Okay. (laughs) And... uh, there's some debate about whether the dancing he, d- he does, if he didn't steal that from uh, Adam West from Batman. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Batman, fair. John Travolta. What else? And um, just about the satires and stuff where some of his coworkers from uh, Welcome Back, Carter, played some of the characters from the movie. It was huh. on MTV. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, so there was a, a, an MTV satire of mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. All right, Alex, what do you know about Pulp Fiction? Uh, I mean, a little bit more, maybe. Well, not any specifics, but um, I, I'm pretty sure it's like a uh, like cop movie that's a little that's like darker than your average one. And I also know that uh, right. Pulp is part of a flower. Pulp. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Excellent. So I'm guessing it's about a, a crime-fighting flower. A crime-fighting awesome. flower, possibly played by John Travolta. Yes. Uh, all right. And also has an alter ego of Batman. <laughs> also this is getting better all the time. I want uh, this movie frankly, to be made. frankly, I want to see that movie, but it is not the movie you're about to see, unfortunately. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but no, 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 no. I mean, there's, there's heroin comes from flowers. Oh, good point. All right, so uh, what we'll say about this movie? Uh, it is not the first film by Quentin Tarantino. It is the nope. second film by Quentin Tarantino. The second film by Quentin Tarantino. That's one bigger number by one. It is. It is twice. Twice his first film. It is the film that established Quentin Tarantino, however. If, if, True. If Reservoir Dogs, his first film, was the movie that made people go, oh, well, this is an interesting guy to watch. I wonder if he can do it again. Pulp Fiction is where he said, yes, I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was nominated for Best Picture mm-hmm. in the year that it was released. It was beaten by um, uh, Forrest Gump. Yes. It was beaten <laughs> by Forrest Gump, uh, which is uh, basically tonally Almost entirely different. Yes, it's from, true from this film. Yes, that yeah, is. It, it, this is the film that that took the world by storm. Uh, movies had gotten very, especially studio films, had gotten very stale by this point. Like there was this backlash from the '80s, and everything got very serious for a while. Mm-hmm. And Pulp Fiction kind of single-handedly started the indie boom and just ripped everything to shreds. Yeah, if yeah this was a huge turning point. In there are certain in the films that are that are cultural t- touchstones. Pulp Fiction is one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it uh, it if it, it, it was probably the most 
dramatic seismic, seismic shift in filmmaking since Star Wars. I would agree with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was a huge influence in the industry. There are there the industry are turned that. on a dime on this movie. There are dozens of movies that you have seen that would not have been made the way they were made were it not for Pulp Fiction. Yes, correct. Uh, and all that said, it is a film that you just need to watch. Mm-hmm. And, There's nothing uh, quite like it. It yeah, it is unique. Uh, even in the world of Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just going to go watch it. If you've never seen this film before, and I imagine many people listening have, but if you've never seen this film before, I hope you do enjoy it while we're watching it. Uh, I will be, as always, trying to pick out a piece of music to uh, have you listen to. <laughs> and it's not going to be the Welcome Back Cotter during theme? The bridge. Not, <laughs> it should be, but it probably won't be because, Welcome well, back. there's Welcome a lot back. of music Welcome to choose back. from in Pulp Fiction. So... Uh, if uh, you, I, would, I, I'm, I'm thinking some Dick Dale is in order. Yeah, Tim. it's possible. In in a few moments, however, you should look forward to whatever I'm going to play while uh, we make time pass quickly as we go watch Pulp Fiction. We'll be back. <laughs> Hey, hey. All right. Um, I'm going to start. So, shh. And we are back. Many fucks have been uttered. Many drugs have been taken. And many scenes have been presented out of order. And we have two new folks who have watched Pulp Fiction. So, Alex and Patrick, you've returned with us. The first job in this second half of the podcast is for us to give you your initial thoughts on the film Pulp Fiction. Wow and holy shit. <laughs> oh, you mean holy fuck. Well, there you go. That's yeah, that too. That's, that's our entire podcast. That's all we really need to say. I mean, I, I have something more to say. If, Uh-oh. Okay. Oh, I mean, go I'm sorry it. for making your job harder. No, no, go for it. Um, actually, no, I don't have anything to say. Wow and holy shit. <laughs> Nothing else to say. All right. Yeah, well, it, it, keep going. Uh, keep going. What, are the, what, um, what else do you guys But uh, really, it was, I mean, it was kind of weird that it was like for most of the movie, there was one main character. But then for like an entire third of the movie, it was just this other character that we've only met once before. And the only reason he's ever important is because he inevitably kills the actual main character. And like other than that, the two plots don't intersect at all, which was just bizarre storytelling. <laughs> it is bizarre storytelling. Mm-hmm. The one thing is, is that I, you know, had been told and seen things that it was going to be the really violent movie, really bloody, really gory, and in ways it was, but not as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the violence is presented not in a kind of a voyeuristic way and, and I think that helps it I mean mm-hmm. where when it's brutal it really is brutal oh yeah but it's it's also like you know oh man I shot Marvin in the face which is hilarious it's horrible and it's hilarious yeah. that's well, one of the strangest moments in film when he shoots Marvin in the face and 
when I first saw it in the theater, the audience burst into shocked laughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can believe that. Yeah. 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 Well, I burst into shocked laughter when I'm seeing brain matter in Samuel Jackson's <laughs> hair and near his ear. And it's like, that's disgusting, but there's something oddly funny about it. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there are so many weird moments of humor in this movie, and it's not like an outright comedy, but... But it's the, more, almost more of that than anything else. Yeah, and it, it's um, the the script is so sharp that it finds moments of humor in the most bizarre places. Yeah. So the film's written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. We mentioned mm-hmm. that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino is very interested in speech patterns. His, oh goodness! His yeah. films oh, yeah. are yeah. almost poetic in the way the characters talk. And Alex, you observed at what one point that the way the characters talked was a little odd. Mm-hmm. And it is. Um, it's not natural. Oh, I was saying that it felt... Oh, I was just saying that it felt oddly natural because like most films, it most films they like shorten out the dialogue and like most books so that it's more palatable for an everyday audience. But it... For me, it kind of felt like the characters were like actually talking to each other rather than like reading off a script. So Fair. it kind of felt like closer to like improv or something, where it's act- where you're, the two characters are talking rather than like, as I said, you're not mm-hmm. going to find much improv in a Tarantino. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, um, no. The, I mean, the, the, but the way his characters talk is well, not entirely natural. Yeah, no. The way they. They just rattle off these pop culture references, which are very yeah. Tarantino-esque. And things like that are not mm-hmm. necessarily natural to, to patterns of speech, but they feel natural in the way that he presents them. Yeah, yeah it's the it's the it's not necessarily what they're saying, but the way that they're talking about menial things around the main task that they're doing. You know, I, I think the real essence of Tarantino is kind of uh, shown in that hallway scene before the, the, the where they're talking about foot massages and, oh, yeah. and delaying mm-hmm. going into the apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is really kind of the magic of Tarantino there. It's, that's like a what, four minute long scene, five minute long scene. They're really talking of nothing of consequence. I mean, there are little plot elements thrown in there because they're talking about the guy who gets thrown out the window. But it's it's all just character development. It mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. biding time and you're and he writes so well that you're fascinated by every mm-hmm. line of that dialogue, even as inconsequential as it is. Yep. And and that that's the magic of Tarantino right there. Mm-hmm. I mean there's the, it um I think at least half of us have seen Inglorious Bastards and um, the whole opening scene between those two characters in the opening scene la- goes mm-hmm. on forever. And they're just dancing around mm-hmm. what's actually happening in the scene. And that's really what it's getting at. I mean, the, the way it feels natural is, you know, people do that. You know, you're, yeah. you have entire conversations with people and not actually talking about the elephant in the room yep. or the task at hand. Well, if you're showing Glorious Bastards, that's one that I can also watch with you because I've never awesome. seen it. <laughs> well, I think that's... I've never heard of it. Oh. oh. No. Okay, so when we get to war movies... We own it, so <laughs> you can feel I free to watch s- it any time. I am mm-hmm. so on board with... Mm. Yeah, I, we, I we, we mo- the, the, the interesting thing about Tarantino, he really... 
I mean, we've watched several Tarantino films. He, mm-hmm. he has not made many clunkers. Uh, mm-hmm. His films are tight. They are intelligent. And he does. And so, so we talked about uh, Pulp Fiction being kind of a game changer of a film. Uh, so, like, the way the story's told, the way he breaks it apart and and tells it in completely nonlinear fashion. There have been narratives like that before. There oh, are yeah. films that mm-hmm. will start near the end and then do a flashback to show you how you've gotten to that point. But he literally just slices up the story and, and throws it back at you completely out of order. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. like Almost like he threw darts at a board and was like, that part's first, <laughs> that part's third. Almost, except he does all of it with great, great purpose yeah, yeah. that's what the the i mean it's mm-hmm. um I, I believe catch 22 is probably the biggest uh, piece of literature that did that before mm-hmm. you know Pulp that's Fiction an actual movie, movie? Catch no, 22. It's a book, book and a movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I've heard like the saying that it's a Catch-22. I didn't realize that was actually named it's after from, it, it's, it's from, from the, the book. book. Oh, and it's, okay. It's a marvelous book, and you'll probably wind up reading it at some point. But it's As um, well, you should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the way Joseph Heller uh, takes that plot line apart, he basically <laughs> tells the entire story non-linearly, but he, he carves it up in a way that he takes... All the scenes that have to do with one thing and groups them all together in a chapter. And then he takes a bunch of scenes that have to do with another thing. And so he he kind of stacks the scenes in order so that they present a full portion of the story or present scenes in the order of drama mm-hmm. rather than in the <laughs> order chronologically. And that's kind of what Tarantino's doing here. I mean, yeah. his his chunks are much larger because mm-hmm. yeah. this this film is basically in five parts. But it's two and a half yeah. hours long. But it's, it's about two and a half 30 hours. minutes yeah. long mm-hmm. per part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what it's doing, uh, and I'm sure many people recognize this, but they show you the story of Vincent up to the point that Butch takes over. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Butch basically... We see what happens to Vincent, and then we go back to seeing this point where Vincent and Jules have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. And we see that Jules makes one choice, and we see that Vincent makes another. And the choice Vincent makes leads to his death. So it's almost this choose-your-own-adventure kind of kind of narrative, Yeah. except it, we aren't shown what the choice is. Mm-hmm. We aren't shown that they have that choice mm-hmm. to leave the life. <clears throat> of being a, a hitman for a for a gangster or stay in the life of being a hitman for a gangster. I'm, I mean, for the record, he could have just taken the gun into the restroom. Well, but we've already seen <laughs> that this is something where Vincent... Every time Vincent goes to the bathroom, something bad happens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> every, every time. Every time he doesn't notice what's yep. going on yeah. outside. Yep. It doesn't matter how much noise is going on. Vincent didn't know there was a robbery going on in the restaurant until he walked out of the bathroom. He, Vincent yep. didn't hear the goddamn Pop-Tarts being opened. Yep. 
bathroom was right there. <laughs> he was yep. so engrossed in his book that he just was locked out of everything else. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the nice thing about that that last scene is because, you know, if you watch it, you're like, how did he not know <laughs> there was somebody in the apartment? <laughs> and it's like, well, we later see that he's gone to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. when he goes to the bathroom, yep. he just. He tunes everything out. Yeah. Well, he goes into the bathroom and Uma Thurman ends up over Odin. Oh, yeah. and, and, and if you notice, that entire reel to reel is done. Like, there is no more music. There was a he's lot been, of tape on that he's reel. He's been giving yes. himself a pep talk for a long time. Oh, Maybe yeah. he just needs more fiber in his diet. There's like a real problem here. Well, he said he was just going to pee. <laughs> But he was giving himself a pep talk. Maybe he thinks his kidneys. <laughs> well, it's a little late for that. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm all, all of this is is moot given what happens to him. But still. Uh, mm-hmm. So oh, uh, another thing just notable about this film is the cast. It is Fantastic. crazy oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people were either A-listers or about to be mm-hmm. A-listers. Yeah. Uh, Travolta had been an A-lister. His career had kind of flagged for a few oh, years. Oh, kind of. No, he, his, his career was dead as a doornail. Yeah, it yeah. had hit the skids. Oh, yeah. It was it was gone by this point. So mm-hmm. he makes this movie and he becomes an A-lister where he's basically remained ever since in spite mm-hmm. of many bad career choices oh, yeah. mm-hmm. since then. But Pulp Fiction, he got mm-hmm. an Oscar nomination for. Mm-hmm. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson had appeared in movies before this. This is the first time he really appeared as a star. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he has been a star ever since. Yep. So this movie was kind of a star maker? It was a star maker. He was in Jurassic Park before this, just Mm -hmm. a couple of years prior. But but that was, I mean, there isn't a lot else that people would have seen Samuel Mm -hmm. L. Jackson in before this film. And especially not as a lead. And not as a lead. Um, I mean, he ends up dead and we get to see his arm in Jurassic Park. That's it. And and this is one of the first major roles for, well, I mean, aside from Reservoir Dogs, but that... Reservoir Dogs wasn't a huge hit. That was kind of an underground hit. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this was the first time a lot of people saw Tim Roth on the screen. Right. And uh, Bruce Bruce Willis actually, I think Bruce Willis was really the only A-lister. Bruce in this Willis movie. was yep. an A-lister, but he his career had been flagging a little bit. He had the Die Hard films at the time, but yep. yeah. the rest of his career he he made a few clunkers. And after he made this movie, he pretty much. He has been remained an A-lister ever since. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because uh, he actually showed some range here. Yep. Well, yeah, he actually he actually <laughs> could act in this film. Yeah, uh, you know, and then you've got got veteran character actors like Harvey Keitel, oh, who yeah. had been in Reservoir Dogs. You've got Christopher Walken, who gets one speech, and I just I, one scene. Yeah, yeah, one speech and one scene. I just and I, he I, makes I, the most of it. Oh, he does. <laughs> which which scene again? That was the gold watch scene. <laughs> That was, oh, that, that was, was yeah. the uncomfortable hunk of metal. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, and oh. I just I I always have fantasized that what happened is Quentin Tarantino called up Christopher Walken and said, "I would like you to do a scene in my film." And Christopher Walken was like, "A scene?" And, and you know, it's like, <laughs> "I'm Christopher Walken. What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Well, let me just send you a copy of this scene." <laughs> And, and, you know, it was it was the 90s, so he probably sent it by fax. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what actually usually was happening was Quentin Tarantino was calling people up and reading them the script over the phone. I know, but that's not because, my head canon. <laughs> no, 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 no. Quentin Tarantino, in, in terms of the written word, oddly enough, is 
basically functionally illiterate. He can barely write. His his handwriting is horrible. Well, just so, because your handwriting is so, horrible doesn't mean your typing is horrible. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he couldn't type I either. take a personal I've offense. A as as okay. a writer myself, I take personal, uh, with bad handwriting, oh, no. I take personal offense to that statement. This is like legendary. Uh, yeah, apparently. I've got, I've got a lot of things to say about that but but he, he it, it was so illegible like he was the only person who could make sense of what he wrote and and so he was reading out of these like uh college line notebooks and just reading them over the phone to people and getting them on board but but still in my was, head can yeah. <laughs> in my head can and he faxes this speech mm-hmm. to christopher walken mm-hmm. and christopher walken reads the speech and his agent is like, all right, Christopher, well, how much are you going to ask for? And Christopher says, take whatever they offer yeah. because mm-hmm. I am going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and this movie was made for $8.5 million, which is nothing. Yeah. It's cheap. Yeah. It's nothing at all. No. Um, to the point where, well, I should back up and, and tell you the story about this script and Reservoir Dogs because what happened was um, – Quentin Tarantino was this guy who worked at a video store in L.A. This is oh, legendary. Yeah. And he was working with a guy named Roger Avery, who was also a clerk at the video store. And that was all they had to their name. And and Tarantino was the just the the nerd god at this video store. He just he watched every movie he could get his hands he on. Literally he literally watched knew. every movie in the video yeah, store. Yeah, he knew mm-hmm. everything. Okay. Yeah, his his head is filled with movies. And so he decides he's going to start writing scripts. And um, he, during, uh, he started fleshing out the script with Roger Avery. And, and his concept was there were going to be three intersecting storylines and he, there were going to be three writers. And Roger Avery was going to write one, Tarantino was going to write one, and a third writer was going to write the third. And the third writer didn't come through, so Tarantino wrote two of the plot lines, and Avery wrote the third. And eventually, Tarantino just kind of ate the whole script. And so, <laughs> and, and rewrote uh, Avery's portion as, you know, very, very thoroughly, and it was pretty much all Tarantino's script by that point. Uh, but as you notice, uh, Roger Avery had has a story by credit on the final movie. There's some contention about how much Avery wrote and how much Tarantino wrote and whether I, Avery I mean, was strong-armed sh- into the story by credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that Avery got money. He got paid for he it. He thinks of it fondly now. So I presume, yes, he got <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes. It, anyway, um, during the production... The, the writing of the script, uh, Tarantino got distracted by a secondary storyline that he was like, oh, this is another movie talking to me in my head. And so he writes down the strip, script and it turns out to be Reservoir Dogs. And so he gets distracted by this thing for a while and Pulp Fiction sits for a couple of years. And the way Reservoir Dogs happens is um, Tarantino's trying every schmooze uh act in the book trying to get this little indie movie made and what winds up happening is he has a friend who happens to know Harvey Keitel <laughs> and Harvey Keitel gets his hands on the Reservoir Dogs script so he goes I'm going to do this and and Harvey Keitel basically makes the movie happen and and Reservoir Dogs came out but it wasn't a huge hit it was kind of on the indie circuit and it 
it showed it can, and it went over really well at can. And from then on, Tarantino was um, the new golden boy for script writing because if you've seen Reservoir Dogs, it's brilliant. And um, so everybody wanted to work on Tarantino's next project. And so <coughs> he polishes up uh, uh, Pulp Fiction uh, by going to Amsterdam for three months in 1992 and, and drinking about 12 cups of coffee a day and, you know, speaking at 90 miles an hour. And, you know, he just hammers out the script in longhand. And then he calls up Linda Chen. And Linda Chen is the woman who typed up the fucking script. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Chen is very interesting. She was the woman who uh, was the typist for Robert Town, who is another legendary screenwriter who wrote things like Chinatown and The Two Jakes. And so um, Chen uh, is actually referenced in the script. She used to own a rabbit called Honey Bunny. <laughs> that, um, well, at, at one point she invited... Taran like Tarantino was not doing well and she goes okay you can crouch surf at my place but you have to take care of the rabbit and he goes no I'm not going to take care of the rabbit and the rabbit died so Honey Buddy is now referenced in the script <laughs> <laughs> so basically uh, Linda Chen is the woman who translated the the longhand into an actual script and kind of helped polish it a little bit apparently mm -hmm. and um Mostly this was done through almost just raw dictation because she could not read Tarantino's writing. Oh. And then she would try to fix linguistic errors in the script and then he'd try to put them back in because he liked them. <laughs> and she's going, no, that, that's not going to go well. But anyway, there, it got polished up in that way. Uh, Chen eventually became the uh, unit photographer on the movie, so she did more in the movie after that. But anyway... Um, the script started getting shopped around and it wound up in the hand of Bob and Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and yes, we know Harvey Weinstein is now persona uh, non grata. Persona mm -hmm. Non grata, but yep. I think that he, I think that everybody knows yeah, yeah. at this well, point. He, yeah. yeah, he's kind of a He's a, he's a he's a he's, he's a, a monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he's also a huge part of this story because he's the guy who got pulp fiction made. <clears> so the Weinsteins and uh, funded the film through Miramax for 8.5 million, and this is how well the script was thought of before they even started shooting. Before anything happened on this movie, they made their budget back because they f sold the overseas film rights for 11 million dollars. They already Whoa. profited. <laughs> so even if no movie came out, they wouldn't lose money. Basically, yes. Basically, yes. Wow. <laughs> it wow. was a master move. Um, ultimately, the movie made like $214 million worldwide. It was, it was like huge. the highest yeah. for, an, for an independent pro produced yeah. film, for mm -hmm. a rated Insane. R film. It's yep. ridiculous yeah. for a rated R film to make mm -hmm. that much money. Wow. Also, just since we got through that story, I, I do realize we also should mention Uma Thurman, yeah. who actually was a pretty big star at the time. Uh, uh she she still hadn't hit actually. Yeah, well, she really was... hadn't. It I was after Munchausen, and everybody had taken notice of her, but she really hadn't gotten a. Isn't star this after maker. Dangerous Liaisons? 
I oh, think, it might be. I think it might be no, after Dangerous Liaisons. She still wasn't a huge star after Dangerous Liaisons. Casually checking the hive mind, aka the internet. I'm just gonna look at Actually, her and but, but, but I think we're gonna find that Dangerous Liaisons was before this, and that's the first time I noticed her. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, I, I noticed yeah. her in Dangerous Liaisons. Well, and, and I did too. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, she wasn't a huge star. Mm-hmm. She wasn't an A-lister at that point. Yeah. So she was a rising star. She was a rising star. <laughs> And uh, she had just had a couple of movies that just didn't click and click before mm-hmm. this. So, mm-hmm. um, but she still she was one of the few people who actually had to be talked into doing this movie because because wow. uh, most people were like Tarantino's doing a new script. I want to do it, including Bruce Willis. Like Bruce Willis got him. Tarantino's doing a new script. Do you want it? And he's like, yeah. So this is his second movie, and people are already fighting for a part. Yeah, it's, it's not his second movie. It's probably the second movie people know him from. Uh. No, 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 not not Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, Tarantino. this is Tarantino's second mm-hmm. movie. Yes, mm-hmm. and so Samuel L. Jackson um, really wanted. Mm-hmm. A part and uh, apparently Paul movie at the moment. Apparently he had uh, audition for the Jules part, and his audition went really well. And so maybe I don't want Samuel L. Jackson. Maybe I want this Paul guy. And Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> flew in f- from New York to L.A. and he was pissed and anger <laughs> eating. He he had stopped for. Fast food, and he was anger, <laughs> anger eating, and and everybody's like, "Oh God, he's actually going to kill us." <laughs> so, uh, and the rest is history. He does kind of put that <laughs> anger into Jules. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh man, he's well, he's amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Travolta. Uh, Tarantino really wanted Travolta, mm-hmm. and and Weinstein was going. Anybody but Travolta. <laughs> Travolta? No. No, you're not getting Travolta. No. And uh, they, uh, Tarantino asked him anyway. And Travolta shows up in Tarantino's apartment. <laughs> and and as he walks in the door and he goes, okay, the tile in your bathroom is this color. And there's this thing about the wall in the bedroom. And the, this was my apartment back when I was doing <laughs> Welcome Back, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Small world, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so uh, so. Travolta was in as as soon as they made contact, and and they eventually talked the Weinstein's into it, and and uh, the rest is history. There. They've been mortal enemies ever yeah. since. Well, yeah. the one thing I found interesting is Ving Rhames. You don't see. We didn't his... even mention Ving Rhames. Yeah. Ving Rhames is great. <laughs> this yes. movie totally made well, his career. Yeah. Well, he, he, you don't even see his face through about half of the movie yeah. until, you know, Butch pulls up to the stoplight and here he is in the crosswalk. Yeah. And yeah. he looks at him. He says, "Motherfucker." Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> 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 and that, that fucking bandaid on the back of his head. Yeah. yeah. Which that's how you with that. He cut himself shaving. Ving yeah. Rhames cut himself shaving. And they decided to leave it in. I, just, I mean, favorite, it makes him a very distinctive character. Like, does. whenever he's on screen, you yep. know it. My you favorite, know who he is. My favorite thing about that Band-Aid is the fan theories that have come up around it. Because one of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the, one of the biggest <laughs> mysteries, of course, about this film is what's in the, the suitcase. Yeah. You don't know. They yep. don't show it. It is the class. And, and of course, mm-hmm. because... 
because Tarantino is such a student of film, he put it in there specifically to be the MacGuffin, the yep. thing everybody wants, but it doesn't matter what it is. And that's mm. literally the whole point of the suitcase. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's yep. inside it of the suitcase. It is a MacGuffin. They just want it. I mean, we all know it's an Eldritch Horror. a golden light coming out of it. Yeah, We all know it's an Eldritch Horror, right? Sure. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a been... reference to Kiss Me Deadly, actually. <laughs> well, it is. It is. Because it's, 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 it's a reference to the great Everything in every Tarantino film is a reference to something. Well, yeah. Uh, mm. But he, when asked about it later, his answer is always, it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. But a, a fan theory has arisen that what is in that suitcase is Marcellus Wallace's soul. Because, <laughs> because legend has it that when you sell your soul to the devil, he removes your soul from your body through the back of your head in basically <laughs> the same spot where Wallace has that band-aid. <laughs> that theory is, is the devil. <laughs> that's where the devil removed the soul from Marcellus Wallace's body and they put it in that suitcase. Uh, but then why is, would the robber say it's beautiful? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a very it, beautiful Souls thing. are probably very lovely. And Marcellus's <laughs> Wallace's soul was probably going to turn super ugly when he turned into super nasty gangster dude. So <laughs> he, he got the soul out of there before it was sullied, I guess. Yeah, I, I anyway. The, well, what's actually in the suitcase is like two batteries and a light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> no, you ruined it. <laughs> there's, no, no there's actually, wait. Plan. I, actually, I actually now we need to start up a theorizing. Is it two batteries or three? <laughs> it's two. It's two. Oh. Well, this is known. This Sorry. is th this has been actually like confirmed by the directors. Oh, yeah, the movie prop <laughs> yeah. has been sold to, to somebody who owns it <laughs> and shows it off. Yeah, and, but and, is it uh, four lights or five? <laughs> There's uh, a theory worth talking about. Anyway. anyway, uh I like the theory that it's filled with the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> the diamonds that got stolen. Because uh, uh Vincent's last name is Vega and he's apparently the brother of of uh the Michael Madsen character. Yes. In Tarantino Tarantino Cinematic Universe. Yes. Actually, there, there are actually there are two Tarantino Cinematic Universes. Oh, and, How do you uh, differentiate them, A and B? There's there's one called the Movie Movie Universe, and there the other one is the Realer Than Real Universe, I think it is. Oh, but wow. they're, um, his films generally fall into one or the other, and the differentiation, as he's described it, is the people in the Realer Than Real Universe could be watching people from the uh, Movie Movie Universe on a movie screen. So... <laughs> Uh, there, there. Look it up. It's, yep. it, Res look I'm it pretty up. sure Reservoir Dogs and uh, Pulp Fiction fall into the realer than real universe. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. I'm pretty sure Inglorious Bastards and Is Django in, Unchained yeah. would fall in the movie movie universe. I think so, and uh, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I think Death Proof is also movie movie, but anyway, anyway, um, the there 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 are shared characters in the universes, and huh. there's one character that tends to go between the two universes, and and that's the sheriff that's played by Michael Parks in almost all of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tarantino anyway. is a fascinating figure, yeah, oh, yeah. and we could yeah. talk all day about him, mm -hmm. but um, we should kind of say so. A lot of things happened as a result of this movie being mm -hmm. released. It was nominated for an Oscar. It did not win. If you went back and you redid it today, I'm pretty sure this movie would win because filmmaking ever since yeah. is 
forever changed by what he did. The well, way dialogue. Tarantino did oh, win yeah. an Oscar for the script. He did. He won an, an Oscar for the screenplay, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but but it did not win for best picture. He didn't win for best director. Yeah. And uh, part of that is because Hollywood doesn't like young bucks, and he was definitely a young buck. Well, yeah, especially not in the mid nineties. Yeah, he oh, hadn't yeah. he hadn't earned shit, and they weren't going to let him have anything as a result. <laughs> so <laughs> so they gave Robert Zemeckis an Oscar for for uh, for. Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, which was ah. the fourth best movie in the in the list of films that were up for Oscars that year. Yeah, so, because out everything of five? else was amazing. Out of five, yeah. The I, it was it was Shawshank Redemption, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, which is a game changer of a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is one of the best romantic comedies ever. Yeah. Uh, and Quiz Show, which is not bad. Um, <laughs> quiz show is fantastic. Yeah, it, I mean, quiz show is seems is, like it was a pretty good year for show movies. Just isn't yeah. quite as good yeah. as Forrest Gump. That's all. <laughs> I don't know. I like quiz show better than I Gump. saw Forrest Gump before it was before anybody had heard of Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. So before it became a really big uh, phenomenon mm-hmm. of a film, mm-hmm. and I just saw it like opening weekend. We went to see it, and I. If yeah. you go in and see it without people telling you how great it is, it's a really good film. It's a really yep. sweet movie. So, um, anyway, say, but it but it but it ain't no pulp fiction. But pulp fiction no. <laughs> it ignites the indie circuit. Yeah. It turns Miramax into a powerhouse of a filmmaking, yeah. of a filmmaking house, at which the Weinstein's they work there for a while, then they spin off to form their own company, and uh, then of course we have the inevitable fall of Harvey Weinstein in mm-hmm. the last. A uh, few months, yes. yeah, um, and uh, the way characters talk, the way films are shot. Again, there were films that were shot non-linear, but nothing to the extent of the way Pulp Fiction did it. You yeah. know, you would have and, a movie, and nothing to the that was so popular, right? So mainstream so that yeah. became yeah. mainstream. So like you would, you might have a film where there are flashbacks, but the flashbacks are still constantly propelling the narrative forward. Yeah. As opposed to this movie, which opens with a scene that does not come back until the last scene in the film. Yep. 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 I mean, the film circles back upon itself, and then there are films that come later, films like Memento, uh, that that play with the order in which the film is shot. That had Pulp Fiction not been so amazingly successful, you don't know if those films would have ever gotten greenlit or noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yep. the, but but uh, Pulp Fiction paves the road for amazing <clears throat> uh, diversity of storytelling technique. Yeah. Yeah. Not because it wasn't there before. I mean, books had, had used these kind of storytelling conventions. But movies had very set conventions that Tarantino just said, yeah, fuck those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's 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 really why, I mean, this movie is, is on this podcast. I, I'm, aside from the fact it's brilliant. It's so fun. It's, it is. It's hilariously I mean, funny. Yep. I, I know yeah. this. I've seen this movie so often that, I, and and it's not like I've sat down and watched it every week since it came out. Sort of obsessive watching. I've, I watch. I it think every that it would get boring years. eventually if you it, did that. I yeah. imagine so. But the thing is, every single line and every single scene are so vibrant and notable that you watch it again a couple of years later. It's like mm-hmm. I know 
every movement of this movie, and it's still wildly there, entertaining. Yep. There are moments that I love because they're such beautiful character moments. There's the fact that, uh, like the when uh, Marcellus and um, and Butch are in the dungeon, mm-hmm. and Marcellus is is in the front of the shot and he's holding the shotgun. Yeah. And Butch is in the back and he's holding the sword. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Butch, yep. you know, says, yeah. you know, what now as far as us? Yeah. And Marcellus relaxes and let the gun lets the gun drop. And at that moment, Butch relaxes and lets the sword drop. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's the just this nonverbal moment where we see that these two characters have ceased to be enemies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way the, that that scene is shot with Wallace in the foreground, with Butch in the background, with the way these two actors basically relax in unison and do essentially very similar body movements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it probably was the actors that made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. I mean that's how that's why they got so many great actors on it. Sure, oh, yeah. but it was Tarantino who wrote something to tell them that in that moment the two characters need to relax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there there are so many moments like that. I mean, just when when Butch is going to escape and then he decides he's going to go down to help and he's he's yeah. cycling through. What, what <laughs> weapon? Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. hilarious. That was brilliant. It really was a Hattori Hanzo. So. It had to be a Hattori Hanzo. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he was thinking quite that far ahead at that point. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I. But I, Fox Force 5 was pretty clearly like. I think he was already thinking about Kill Bill when, <laughs> <laughs> when that was popping into the yeah. script. So. Mm-hmm. There, there are just moments like that throughout the film where you're just kind of sitting there going, oh, he's about mm-hmm. to shoot him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and that's awful, but and, it's and kind watching of this, awesome. Watching this with people who had never seen it before is a special joy just because <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, he's going to shoot Martin in the face. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> the one area... Oh, and the... Watching, watching you, uh, Patrick, watching you cringe <laughs> during the adrenaline shot scene. Oh. It's like... It, it just brought me. I was. I, I was watching, covering my eyes. Yeah. I yeah. Saw, oh, I, I remember that. watching that in the theater when it, when it was first run. Just going. Oh. 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 <laughs> and they oh no. They don't actually show the needle going no, into her chest, but yep. they do show her sitting up with it with sticking, it sticking out. out. No. Yes. I was expecting them to actually do that. That it was like, oh, good. They did. Oh. That's sticking out of her. Somehow that's worse. Yeah. Sitting in the background going. What happened? Why? What? How? <laughs> <laughs> and the, 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 you know, you can see your fingers just starting to go for the syringe, like to take it yep. out, and then it cuts. Yeah, <laughs> which I find just screamingly funny. Okay. Well, so, so apparently okay. that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had an advisor on this movie that was a former heroin addict, and he did a lot of the coaching for the actors who, you know, for both. Uh, um, Travolta and for uh, Uma Thurman on how to act high and you know the, <laughs> did a good know, job what, oh what did heroin, they ever <laughs> oh my god and Travolta just nails it but um, also he when it was brought up to him it's like okay so mm-hmm. if we need to revive somebody who's overdosed mm-hmm. um, what do you do and that guy apparently said well it was basically that scene except it was salt water or or i don't know how that works but anyway um 
they upped it to adrenaline, and I can't remember if that was just a Tarantino script moment or if it came from this, but when Uma Thurman um, was kind of researching doing the scene, uh, she actually drew upon something that happened on the set of Baron Munchausen because they had a tiger that they had to um, tranquilize in order to do <coughs> oh. some work on the <clears throat> movie, and they had to use too much tranquilizer, so oh, they had oh. to figure out how to like revive this tiger, <laughs> and so they gave it a shot of adrenaline, and so her reaction to coming out of <laughs> a heroin coma <laughs> is a tiger uh, coming out of uh, uh, being tranquilized well, thanks to adrenaline. The one thing is, is that when she comes back from the bathroom after snorting the cocaine, yeah, it was you could just see her thrumming in the yeah. seat oh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah between her and and. And Travolta just high as a kite in stone, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was the the heroin high was described to him as okay. What you do is you drink as much tequila as you possibly can, and then lay in a warm bathtub, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the barest approaching of what that feels like. And so he he and his wife decided to uh, get in a hot tub and uh, experience this. <laughs> oh. Scientology. Scientology. Yeah. Honey, I want to try something. Yeah. Science. Hey, let's drink a bunch of tequila and sit in a warm bathtub. It's I swear, research. I swear it's not what it sounds like. It's for research. It's for research. It's for research, or a part I'm doing. Uh. <laughs> Apparently it's wife was very enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the the dancing scene, of mm-hmm. course, you know, Travolta being known for his dancing skills. Oh, yeah. Um, they, it was, it was written in, into the script even before they knew they were going to have Travolta. So, but, you know, you get Travolta mm. on the set and the script just says they do the twist. Yep. And Travolta's like, okay, I know like 800 variants of the twist. What do you want? You, do you want the Batman? Do you want the Watusi? And, and eventually he just li- gets this laundry list of dance moves that were popular during the day. And uh, first of all, Uma Thurman's super nervous because she's like, it's a Saturday night fever guy. <laughs> and so he teaches her a bunch of these dance moves too. Mm-hmm. And so the way they filmed that scene was Travolta and, and Thurman dancing after they've got their moves worked out mm-hmm. and Tarantino's got a handheld camera moving around and going, Batman! What to see? And just, like, every time he wanted something new, he just called out commands. <laughs> That's so, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So um, I can believe it. Um, can I... Yes. Uh, this is just something that, I mean, yeah, I know you guys are like the people who usually are like talking in this, and but I wanted to mention something like as a first time watcher of oh, it. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's I, why you're here. That's why you're here. I yeah. kind of had a unique perspective on it because um, I, uh, since last time I was on the podcast, I've be, I've started, uh, I, I've taken a lot of writing classes, so I know I'm, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it as, like, a living or anything, but I'm doing a lot of that. And Nobody so, does it as a living. Well, yeah. N- well, like, <laughs> five people. Uh, yep. Unless you're a reporter. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that, but my point is that... Um, type of my point is that, like, I w- it was very interesting from, like, a... 
even like a just general framing perspective of like looking at it as like trying to predict what happens next by being like, why are the characters going here? Because like, I, what you know, that's kind of the switch in your brain you turn on and then can't turn off no matter how hard oh, you try. Yeah. Um, because that because especially during like the scene where they had uh Butch uh, go back to the his house, I was like, why is he going here? Why is he going here? And then I was like. Oh, that's why. I did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it always keeps you... I, I wanted to say that, like, the film, even as, like, a writer, always keeps the audience guessing. Like, there are some scenes, like, 15, 20 minutes long that, like, nothing happens, and then suddenly your characters are locked in a dungeon and yeah. with... <laughs> yeah! Well, well, that's, that that was, I mean, I love the fact that, like, at the end, we've mm-hmm. got these two characters in a diner, and it it doesn't occur to you. It mm-hmm. doesn't, even though we saw that diner, yeah. mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. doesn't occur to you that it's the same. And if you watch, you will see Vincent and Jules in the opening scene. <gasps> yeah. Oh. That's brilliant. You, you but see you them? didn't know who they were. Yeah. So, of course, you didn't notice. So, you yep. didn't notice. And they're in that diner, and mm-hmm. it probably, for 90% of the people viewing that film, never occurs to them it's the same diner until they're the, they they take the one shot at Tim Roth going, Garkon! And then Garkon. everybody, well, I'm sure that in the theater there's like a wave of like gaffs. Oh yeah, in the theater, everybody's it. like, oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, the one thing, yeah. when they went into the dungeon, I was like, what, what the hell? What the fuck? Where's the movie going to? Yeah. I wasn't he, expecting he this. He got the watch. I thought that was it. He drives away. He's got the watch. He's yep. singing a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like he, he, well, he flowers. Well, on no, the wall. personally, yep. personally, like I was like, there's got to be something. They would not be showing him singing in this mm-hmm. car. But this is Pulp Fiction, though. <laughs> what if it is just showing him sitting in the car just to make me nervous? Which like, <laughs> yes, it's true. Yep. I was expecting. Jules to pop out the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> I love Alex even while he was watching the film in the in the scene in the pawn shop. And the dude picks up the phone and Alex is like, Why isn't he calling 911? <laughs> That's more than three numbers. And I was like, I was oh, like, oh just wait. No. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> that, well, there is no cinematics ex- experience like watching any Tarantino film for the first time. Because there's something about his scripts where you can't call where he is going, ever. Mm, I can believe it. And, <laughs> I mean, it, I think that's true of every single Tarantino film I've seen. Yeah, and, it is. I mean, and some I've, of his films are more successful than others. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but none of them are easy to predict. Right. Mm-hmm. His, his structures can be downright bizarre. Like, Death Proof is probably the weirdest one. Death Proof is a... Mm, yeah. I don't know how that works. I don't need the film. I mean, I, mean just... I know how it works, but I don't know how it works. No. because Death Are most Proof... of his films, like, out of order to- storytelling? Yes, or... but not all. Not all of them. I said I mean, not all. Yeah, I, said, I mean... I said yeah. most, and he said yes, right? I said, yeah, not all. You, you asked most, well, yeah. and I said yes. That, that was, that, that was yeah. the not order all. of events. Uh, Kill Bill is mostly. Kill Bill One is out of order. Kill Bill Two is not. Right. Oh. Kill Bill Two is huh. basically linear. Mm-hmm. Um, Although Kill Bill One isn't necessarily out of order as much as it's. I, I that is kind of couched in flashbacks. 
Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Well, Kill Bill 2 has some flashbacks, but the, even yeah, those... That's not to the extent. That's more, more, more of a traditional linear storytelling. Frame. So that was his, yeah. like... Because he said, like, each of Tarantino's movies is, like, a different beast. So that was his different beast of, hey, let's be normal for once. <laughs> uh, think about Kill Bill 1 and 2, and I don't know if we'll ever do that on this podcast. And by the time we do, it won't matter that we've had this conversation. But what's fascinating about Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 1 is this movie in which the character is just cutting a swath of bodies up as she goes. And so you're thinking that Kill Bill 2 is going to be the same way. And then it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not at all. It's like Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2 are dramatically different films. (laughs) Kill Bill Volume 1 is a samurai martial arts epic. And Kill Bill Volume 2 is a love story. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, wow, yeah. I, I think that. But it's, but it's a Tarantino. Love but it's a Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, so, so, so there are a few yeah. bodies. It's like saying yeah. Inglorious Bastards is a war movie. It yeah, is. It is. But like, it's a Tarantino it's, war movie. It's, it's the if Quentin Tarantino has evolved, you can you can assume at least three asterisks. Yeah, and and yeah. Inglorious Bastards is primarily chronological. It is. Death Proof is all chronological. It is. But the plot plays out twice, it essentially. Does. Yeah. It, um, anyway, and, uh, I, I now want uh, to watch that. That that oh, that, that intrigues. Well, you should want to oh, watch all Tarantino yeah. films, yeah. Uh, just because he his scripts has, are amazing. He he mm-hmm. writes really amazing scripts, even if the movie itself is a little weird, mm-hmm. doesn't always work. The scripts are are just fascinating. Watching these characters talk, he gets great actors. The only actor in a Tarantino film who isn't very good is Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. <laughs> and that's the one thing that you kind of wish he would stop. Because, <laughs> because the one character in this film mm-hmm. who is like, if you watch it and you go, <laughs> that dude can't act. <laughs> and that's who was our, it? That's our friend with the, uh, w- with the Bonnie situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking and, about, and the good coffee. Yep. And the good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's Although, like every time he delivers the word motherfucker, it just it feels uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like for somebody who's so so capable of writing that word into everything he does, mm-hmm. he really doesn't have a lot of comfort saying it in film. Um, <laughs> but he's he I mean, student of film, he he had this this historical context of Alfred Hitchcock appearing uh, in yeah. a cameo in every one of his films. And oh, yeah. so he wants to do the same thing, except he makes the horrible, horrible mistake of giving himself lines. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not talk about him so it's, in, um, yeah. in Django Unchained. Because that is the worst accent it's like in the world. You always are just going, Quentin. Quentin, don't. You're really good I mean, I mean, at least they're usually small characters. I know, but mm-hmm. this character's actually pretty important yeah. in, in Pulp Fiction. Although, oh, okay. although, although I will say in, in Pulp Fiction, um, I, I do cherish the backyard scene and and with with Kaitel <laughs> and Tarantino standing side by side with the hose. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh. hey, and, hey, you didn't hit him there. And Tarantino is clearly having the time of his life. Yeah. yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. He's that the time was of his life because Harvey Kaitel is in a scene with him. Yes. Yep. <laughs> He's clearly just having a joy. <laughs> but of that, time. but in that scene, the character worked. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it, it's not yeah. that the character doesn't entirely work, but it's mm-hmm. like you put Quentin Tarantino in a scene with Harvey Keitel and Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> and, and John and Travolta. John Travolta <laughs> two of the three of whom are gonna be nominated for an Oscar for this film. Yep. <laughs> and Tarantino 
kind of stands out. Yeah. That's true. And the irony, of course, is the only one of those three who won an Oscar for this film was Tarantino. Yeah. Originally, it wasn't for acting. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we are getting to the point we should probably do final thoughts. So I got to check first. Melissa... Are there any, and there are about a million oh, there, trivia there tidbits about so this film. But I there, have, I, I'm looking over to see like oh, at least yeah. one page of bullet points. Her notes are oh, prodigious. Oh, I'm seeing so more than is, one. <laughs> is, are, there any, are there any notes you feel are super important we, we get to about this film before we get to final thoughts? Well, oh, oh yes, yes. Um, I really like how Tarantino, Tarantino handles women in his scripts. And Pulp Fiction, I even though this is a movie that does not by any means uh, pass the Bechdel test. No. Uh, there are several female characters. They are all very distinct. None yeah. of them are there just to be, hey, I'm a girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, I I love using Esmeralda as a as an example of the cab driver. The, yeah, the, oh, the cab yeah. driver, the Butch. Butch. And oh, I I love that character. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. That was great. <laughs> yeah, she's in it for one scene. She, she steals very, the scene. Yeah, she's, and the other actor is like one that's going to be nominated for Oscars later on. Yeah, <laughs> she steals the scene, but but Willis lets her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He gets yeah. that it's not his scene. Yeah, and it, a lot of these women you you see it's like. What's her story? What's yeah. her story? <laughs> What's her story? And and um, and mo- they're all very distinct, real characters, even though they're only there for a moment. Like even uh, Fabian, I think is her name, uh, yeah, Butch's always, girlfriend. I, yeah, um, she's uh, she's this very sweet, but you know, not not a very strong you know strong female character no she's she's just this very um kind of soft pliant female yeah. but you know definitely but um, not naive i not mean naive. she's got that moment mm-hmm. that moment where she's like we're in a lot of danger aren't yeah. we and yep. and, yeah. and she and, and clearly she and and uh butch have this very loving relationship and he adores her and she adores him and it's and it's lovely and like if she was in any other movie you'd be going oh god what a weak-willed awful character but she's not she's this kind of fully fleshed out character and as she is one of the several women who are very, very different from her, it's like, yeah, there are women who exist who are like that. Yep. And that is not a weak female yeah. character. That is it an excellent contrast. female character. It's, it's a just, realized female it's character. It's a yeah. realized female character. Yeah. And I, I love that stuff. I think I think it's fabulous. So I just want to and, – and I love Amanda Plum, Plummer, the honey bunny. I love her. I love her so much. She's a fantastic actress. <laughs> hey, you motherfuckers, move. I'm going to execute every motherfucking one of you. I just love it because they're, they're, they're talking and they're so, so sweet. sweet. And then all of a sudden, guns come out. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> Yolanda, stay with me. And it's, it's a lovely reflection, too, because, of mm-hmm. course, you see those two characters sitting at the table talking. And then they get into character. And it's their... Yeah. their their 
thief care their their robber characters yeah. and then we have that reflection of of Jules and uh and uh and Vincent later of let's get into character and then they walk to the door and yep. the, and the scene in the room is entirely different mm-hmm. these two people they really do get into character yeah yeah um, mm-hmm. and and you just kind of are like oh well that's that's kind of cool um anyway so we're going to go to final thoughts oh and, and oh, also wait. before before we go to final thoughts, um, to kind of close this out with um, the arrangement of the storylines, um, it seems to me you know since we kind of got started this subject and didn't quite conclude it, the movie is mostly about redemption. Yes, and, and the uh, the chopping up the storylines and moving them to a an arrangement where most of the redemptions come in the second half of the movie. So you're you're moving things around chronologically, but the punchlines are coming so that it's Uma Thurman coming back from the dead and the characters Butch and the characters that are redeemed are the ones that are making the choices that are worthy of redemption. Exactly. Butch is Butch is redeemed because he makes the choice to not leave Marcellus Wallace right. in that dungeon. Marcellus yeah. Wallace is redeemed because he makes the choice to forgive Butch. Yep. Because his you know. Yeah. And Jules is Jules is redeemed, redeemed because he makes the decision to leave the life. Vincent is not redeemed. Yep. Um, and therefore Dead. Killed, dead. Killed after Pop Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think killed during Pop Tarts. It, it 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 is all there, and yeah, the yeah. the order of the film is important. But anyway, we should anyway. go to final thoughts. Mm-hmm. We will go to our guests. So, Patrick, what are your final is your final thought about Pulp Fiction? Well, it's a, definitely a movie that I had never seen. I've seen references to it, and uh, I've seen sketch bits done, like you mentioned the Forrest Gump. And I think it was Mad TV did a mashup of Forrest Gump and <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the thing is that it definitely blew me away in how it was presented and how it was acted. I mean, it's one of those movies that I was kind of scared about watching it because I thought it was going to be, you know, really gruesome. But it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And... I'd say I want to watch it again now. Yay. <laughs> nice. All right, Alex, final thoughts. I mean, writing was excellent. The filming was excellent. The dialogue, characters, everything was excellent. But I didn't count one lightsaber. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd wait, give wait, 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 wait. it, I'd Maybe. only give it like a six out of 10 or so. Maybe that's what was in the case. Ooh. Oh, it I'll, did glow. I'll give yep. it a tentative eight out of 10. Oh. And Mace Windu was there. It's whatever you want it to be. There, there is one Jedi. Yep. <laughs> there is a Jedi. She and, and, he, and he's the fine. one who was carrying the Fine, keys. fine. 8.5, guys. Okay. <laughs> right. And he was also Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Melissa, your final thoughts. The word fuck was used 265 times. <laughs> Did you have like a tally going? Yes. <laughs> the word fuck or variations. Uh, my final thought is just, uh, you know, the thing about Tarantino, this is his second movie. Um, what he does so amazingly well is frame shots. You know, I talk about that shot in the Mm -hmm. basement. Yes, he has a cinematographer, but the thing that is kind of remarkable about Tarantino is the fact that in his second movie, he had such a command of storytelling and knowing how to 
tell the story and the way he composes the shots and the way he arranges the characters on on screen. And part of it is him being a student of film. But there are plenty of people who are students of film who just mm-hmm. don't have a grasp of how to make something happen on the screen the way Tarantino does. And while this is not my favorite Tarantino, Kill Bill Volume 1 is probably my mm-hmm. favorite Tarantino, and while he has made many great films, I think this is probably his greatest. Um, yeah, in terms of influence. and it's, Well, yeah, influence yeah. alone, yeah, it, it stands head and shoulders above the others, but also just in the storytelling and what he gets out of his actors, he, he just, he really knocks it out of the park with this film. Uh, um, I, although I would like to put an asterisk on it. One of the great... Um, one of the great unsung heroes of the Tarantino verse is Sally Menke, his editor, through most of his Fair. films. I'm she sorry, the Tarantino verse is one of the cinematic universes. You can't call it that. You have <laughs> okay. to give it a different name. The, the, ter- the world of Tarantino. She passed away in No, that's the other sadly, one. But, but, the uh, realer than real universe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The movie, movie, realer than real. But anyway, Sally Menke was his longtime editor and was uh, editor on uh, Pulp Fiction, among other things. And... Uh, yeah, she passed away in 2010, so his latest stuff is a was little longer. A little longer and not quite as clipped, but yeah, she was very influential in how a lot of his storytelling came together. So, good point. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's all we've got. So, the final thing I will say, we are done, but we are continuing on what we are calling our crime spree, but we are going to be following Bruce Willis, our good friend Bruce Willis, who is fantastic in this film. We are following him to Die Hard. <laughs> so, uh, come back next time. We'll be watching Die Hard, the one, the only, the original Christmas movie. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Deep